Good morning, everyone. We're talking about the, we're taking up the newly released 2022 Southeast Alaska Business Survey. The results show positive economic outlooks, housing needs, and a lot of businesses hiring, all of which contained in the survey crafted by the Southeast Conference in partnership with Rainco's Data. Conference Executive Director Robert Venables is with us today to break this down. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Kevin. So, executive summary, why conduct the survey? Well, you know, this is probably the most critical and most accurate source of data and information if you want to study the economy, understand where the economy is at and where it's going, is to talk to the people that are actually investing their personal money. And so we've, for the last uh, decade plus, we've been interviewing every year um, business executives and owners that uh, are engaged in investing and creating jobs in uh, in the region throughout Southeast Alaska. So I understand that 440 responded, right? Uh, help give us a sense of who all in Southeast we're talking about here. What businesses? Well, you know, it's interesting. So we, you know, there's, I think, 33 communities. You count some of the really smaller ones as well. So we had input from 27 communities. Like you said, 440 businesses. Um, 21 different economic sectors. So if you're in business, one of those sectors, um, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, tourism, whether it is, you know, the visitor industry, retail, seafood, um, construction, architecture, um, even uh, social services and uh, child care, transportation is huge. Um, you know, so there's, there's um, you know, energy, agriculture, timber, you know, all, the, all the different economic sectors. If they've got a, a business license, we were reaching out to them. And, uh, you know, collectively, what's interesting is that as you take a look at the profile in these businesses, collectively, they employed over 10,000 workers. So, you know, we're talking about the people that are really creating the, the economy here. And the really neat thing, too, um, I don't know where Milani gets this stuff, but she's just in a, the guru of uh, economic data and mining. But um, she found almost 13,000 operating years collectively between all the different uh, managers. So, oh, you know, okay. we're talking about people that know business, that uh, provided a lot of, a lot of input into uh, this uh, business climate survey. A lot of businesses five years or older. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you asked these businesses how they view the business climate, uh, and in this report it said, quote, what a difference a year makes. Uh, tell us about that difference. Well, we've got, this has been a grim two years. Uh, you know, and even last year, nearly 80% of the you know, businesses said, it's not very good. You take my temperature and, uh, doctor, I'm sick. Um, we still didn't have the, you know, the PVSA waiver that uh, our delegation was able to get. We, there was no hope really for a cruise season even last year. Uh, the outlook was, um, was not healthy, rosy by any means. And then to go from almost 80% you know, negative to you know, now, um, you know, the, the positive numbers are just you know, much more healthy. And... I saw that construction firms and related industries, so architecture, engineering, had a particularly positive view. That's interesting, given this large infrastructure package we're seeing. They are as busy as they want to be, plus some. And I think uh, that's going to be some of the stretch points that many organizations and businesses, even the state's going to have in procuring professional services, is that 
there's only so many of them out there and there's a lot of projects ongoing so the outlook certainly is is bright for that sector and tell us about their outlook though so looking to next year what did respondents have it have to say well they, they think the outlook looks much brighter um you know it's uh, they see the the upswing it seems like this pandemic has become manageable even though it is certainly still with us but um you know the outlook has has given them cause for optimism and even more important cause for investment so that's the thing that's uh, that's really encouraging is that they're looking to invest in their businesses and to you know hire more workers if they can find them oh that's right well i i have a question for that but on the topic of uh, on the topic of negative outlook, though, I noticed that non-tourism related transportation uh, they stuck out because they had the most negative outlook going into next year. You know, the cost for doing business is just soaring, and I think that's one of the dark clouds still on the horizon. Is just how are we handling the inflation that is rampant uh, through the country but it's always magnified in Alaska. We're so detached, the costs of getting things here are that much more um, than anywhere else in the country. So you take that from you know, Seattle and you get it to you know, the, the Anchorages or the Junos, you know, the main hubs, um, that's expensive. But then you double it again to get to our other communities. And so it's just kind of a, uh, that's one of the big concerns, just the, the cost of, of, of goods to be able to be in business. And then the triple that, the cost of, of fuel right now. It's, right now, it is, it's, it's really hurting. Fuel, the fuel surcharges across the board are, are being felt. Now, they did bring up an issue, though, that I saw throughout the survey, and you had just mentioned, the, sh- the struggle to find workers. Could, could you... Could you expand on that finding? That is one of the most significant issues right now. And I think that, you know, one of the things, um, you know, especially in the tourism, you know, um, arena, you know, we have the opportunity, especially with these cruise ships in for extended periods of time, you know, the the first eight hours of the day pays your bills, you know, is, is the second, you know, four to six hours where you start making some profitability. And if you don't have staff to cover that second shift, you're closing shorter hours, you're not able to make that money that gets you through the the entire year for the next season. So it's so a kind of a ripple effect. We see you know shrinking services, shrinking um, you know availability of things to do, and shorter hours to accomplish that. Um, in many of our businesses, not just tourism, but across the board, we see you know a lot of times shorter hours for um, for the stores being open, and it's a big issue because they can't find staff. And. Uh, Another trend next to finding employees was housing. And in, in fact, in this survey, it was ranked first as an economic need. It, it is one of those conundrums because we need such a heavy lift of staff during the summertime in all of our communities that um, the issue is where do you put them? Um, we even had an intern this summer um, come to us and it was like, had a hard time finding a place. He finally found a room at a place that had like four other rooms, uh, you know, being rented out. And so that's the level of uh, non-availability is that and I get a doctor over here and a professional over there. I mean, everybody's scrambling for, for housing and it's just not available. And that's just for space, you're saying, right? I mean, 
we've also been hearing a lot about the affordability as well. Affordability is actually secondary to actually to finding it because, you know, these folks have secured a job. So in theory, they can pay for, uh, you know, the rent, although those are going higher and higher, but it's purely the availability for what we need for staffing during the year that is very intensive for tourism, for fisheries, for you know, construction, you know, the trades that need to happen that occur in just such a, a short window of time. And, well, there's, we, we've talked a lot about some of these challenges, but there's got to be some reason why people choose to work here. Did the businesses say there's benefits? What, what did they have to say? Well, I, I, you know, I, I think we live in one of the most beautiful spots on the planet. And, you know, the, the quality of life is always at the top of the list of reasons why people come here, fall in love with people, place, and just make it home, you know. So, uh, you know, recreational opportunities are second to none. And, you know, it's just, you know, there's a deep, deep cultural, um, you know, well that you can, you know, just be amazed at and learn from and appreciate. There's just so many different things that that allow you to just want to stay here forever, uh, as many of us did. And now, you know, with, uh, you know, the broadband getting better and better and connectivity, um, folks are finding that, you know, they're not really missing that urban center that they might have escaped down south and coming up here they can still maintain their jobs they can just take a, advantage of all the amazing things that southeast alaska has to offer replace those skyscrapers with mountains exactly huh? snow-capped quiet ones that uh, yeah you can breathe in and just just feel therapeutically restored mm. well what do you take away from this survey well, I, I think that, you know, one of the nice takeaways is the fact that, you know, the two years that we spent, and I say we collectively, there was an amazing response from the federal government, the state government, local governments, to make sure that the business community was supported the best way. Nobody was made whole, but everyone was supported. And, you know, Southeast Conference worked really hard to make sure that the business community was connected to, to those resources. We saw, I think, close to uh, well over $500 million come into the region to help support keeping the lights on and the doors open for, for businesses. It was a struggle, uh, but from what I can tell, we've got one of the fewest numbers of documented closures during the pandemic than most of the state. Uh, and one of the higher levels of, of uh, support that was accessed. So we're really pleased to see that which then poised uh, the business community to, to, to be in a position to have the optimism that they've got now. And I think that while there are some challenges on the, on the future, those are all ones that if we stay focused on them, you know, we'll be able to keep growing the economy. And with the infrastructure funds that are being made available, there are a lot of communities in the region uh, that are being able to access that and, and make the investments that we need to that I think will help provide stability and sustainability for uh, years to come. And we only touched on but a bit of the data. Where can folks find the rest? So the entire um, um, survey, business climate survey, is on our website at sceconference.org. And then uh, just a shout out for next week, um, Rainco's Data Melon is going to do a, a presentation to the Juno Chamber of Commerce. So that uh, will give folks a chance to really see the details of this and ask questions of 
of um, of her and get some of those insights that she's been doing this for so long. Um, it is really great to see some of the trends that she's able to pull to pull together and really helps to point the, the way forward for uh, investing and managing uh, the economy. So that's next Thursday, that presentation? That's, yes. All right. That, I believe that's the 14th. So we'll look out for that as well. We'll have more with Robert after the break. So stay tuned. And we're back with Southeast Conference Executive Director Robert Venables. So, Robert, what's the outlook of our marine highway system right now, would you say? Well, you know, again, just like the Business Climate Survey, um, after a couple of really grim years, there's a sense of optimism that um, there is actually hope for the system that we really didn't have before. And, you know, we had some ideas before, not funding. And now... You know, the, the funding that um, the delegation, primarily Senator Murkowski, really, you know, wrote two pieces of significant legislation that got put into this uh, Infrastructure Act that will send uh, close to a billion dollars to the marine highway system for the next five years. So there's an opportunity to, to really do, um, you know, many of the accomplishments that, you know, the Governor's Reshaping Committee and Southeast Conference's Reform Committee have, have laid out as critical next steps. And so I'm, I'm optimistic, more optimistic uh, than I've been in a while. And just, just to bring the listeners up to speed while we're talking about the Marine Highway, the, the Southeast Conference, that's what practically was the genesis of the organization, We right? We are very proud to have been the first uh, and foremost cheerleaders, and we try to maintain that uh, uh, since 1958 when uh, regional leaders got together to form Southeast Conference. Um, you know, um, the, the, the headline in the, in the Petersburg uh, pilot was, uh, you know, the Southeast Conference uh, organizes, and the very first uh, thing, uh, byline is very first. And so that was the first priority. And, and it's, Southeast Conference always, you know, try to be a catalyst for um, what needs to happen for connecting our communities in so many different ways. And the ferry system is the visible um, and, and physical you know, expression of, of connectivity for our communities it is just so critical. So right now, I, you have a uh, agreement with the Department of Transportation, and this is to, if I got this right, you're analyzing low emission ferries. So right? it's, it's a combination. So it's one of the objectives that um, you know that is really a priority of the federal government right now is taking a look at how you can reduce emissions in. Um, in every aspect of, of industry, and the marine highway system is one of those. It's a you know, it's a diesel dependent uh, chug along you know engine room, and you know there's opportunities that um, you know can really integrate other fuel sources. And you know, we're such a hydro rich region. That's got to be one of the one of the mix, and so. Um, that one of the things we're taking a look at in partnership with the Department of Transportation is what are those those opportunities and if it's hydro what are those capacities you know in the in the community and it's not just we've got you know hydro in Juneau or Skagway uh, how's the grid you got to get it you know from there and to the you know, oh, the, the whole to, electric grid the whole electric transmission grid mm. and you got to get it down to the harbor 
Well, then you've got to figure out how to, to you know, connect it to the vessel and, and what that configuration looks like. So, and then what are the economic impacts? So it's kind of a, a three, um, you know, three-phase you know, approach, taking a look at systems on, um, on board and taking a look at um, how we can meet those. And it was something that it's, and it's not just Alaska that's taking a look at that. It's just an opportunity that's being made available through some federal funding and that the state has access to. But it's something that's happening worldwide. And that was something that we're able to go um, to take a, by invitation to from Innovation Norway, because they're doing the same thing. They're investing heavily into low emission uh, uh, vessels and some all electric and some that will take uh, you know hydrogen ammonia or LNG or some blend of the above uh, some you know you know uh, some different variations of you know, green diesel so it's it's amazing to see the technology and the research that's being done and I think there's an opportunity for us to take advantage of you know what other research is providing and so this grant, this 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 federal grant, is mainly looking at that's providing the funding for this serv- this this analysis, right? You're mainly looking at electric ferries, then, right? Well, so it's twofold because um, electric ferries will only operate in very s- short runs. So there's only three or four places where that will be. That you won't see purely electric um, ferries in a lot of places, but a hybrid electric. Is something I think is very, very possible, and I think um, you know the other piece of, of of the propulsion system that may be a diesel blend with something else. You know that that's that is a pay grade above me in the science department that uh, they'll they'll figure out. But I think one of the biggest takeaways is making sure that we accommodate change. We get locked into something with a vessel design for twenty to fifty years. And it really doesn't have the opportunity to, to breathe and grow with technologies. And I think that is some of the opportunity that you know, these new grants that Senator Murkowski has you know, pushed our way is it allows us to modernize with an eye for the future rather than band-aids on something from the past. And would you say some of what we're eyeing towards the future is what Norway had? I mean, well, you, were, you were listing out multiple different... You know, I... I th- Personally, I think what's most exciting is some of the most simple innovations. We, for an example, we saw this um, electric system that you know, just a little, it's like a light post, not just, just like a light post sitting there at the harbor. But as the boat comes in and it's lowering its uh, ramp for the vehicles, at the same time, a side panel opens uh, on the vessel and within 20 seconds, the, the cable is dropped automatically. It's the computers talking to each other. And the plug goes in there. Within 20 seconds, it's connected. And in 10 minutes, it's charged. Hmm. So, you know, doing that, you know, is, is a way to reduce diesel consumption. In this case, it was an all-electric ferry. And so it took it to the next port where it had another one of these. And, you know, it just kept going back and forth all day. So... You know, in a couple of routes, sure, that could happen all electric. But, you know, to me, I can see a way where this could be part of a, a, a multifaceted solution that uh, would be hybrid for some of our medium, you know, length routes that go, you know, Huna, Haynes, and Prince of Wales, perhaps. And But on this analysis, what's your timeline looking at, looking like? 
Well, we need it yesterday, and we have dollars for today and tomorrow, but the next day was a little uncertain. So uh, there's, you know, it's a five-year window of funding. And so, um, you know, there's an advisory board that's working on recommendations uh, for, for the future. But I'm, just, I'm pleased that the department has really got, a, got an eye to, um, you know, to uh, assimilate information from all over. We're not just looking at what we know today here in Alaska. We're looking more broadly at what's happening in other parts of the country. Uh, Washington State's doing a lot of innovative work. BC Ferries and other other lines are as well, um, both in propulsion and even in the vessel construction. Because at the end of the day, what we really need is a new generation of fleet. So, well, this was something I was hoping to take take up yeah. with you because we had a caller. It was either the la- in the last week or last month. And they had asked, why why buy electric ferries? You just just buy a couple diesels. So I'm going to pose that question to you now. Why why the electric ferry? Because that's what opens the door to the rest of the boat. Um, the the color's not incorrect. We need new boats, and I think that the federal funding that is being made available at, and, and the quantity that's being made made available. Um, because the federal focuses on the you know, emissions and the propulsion, that's our doorway into getting the rest of the vessel. Um, we, we need new boats. We need the Tustamina replaced. We need a new mainliner. We probably need another Alaska-class ferry or two. And maybe it's not the exact same boat, but that's what we're, you know, we're seeing the research and the focus on is what is that, that vessel type that is best fitted so we can get that, and the reason the feds are going to pay for it is because they're really con- convinced that it's a priority for them for low emissions and you know electrified, modernizing the fleet. Okay, but um, you know my obsession is getting new holes in the water, new blue canoes. So on another matter, uh, update us on the work of the Department of Agriculture's sustainability strategy. The conference was provided funding for mariculture over in POW and a pellet mill in Ketchikan. Yes. And, you know, and that's just the beginning of what their, you know, their priorities are. You know, it's one of those rare opportunities where the USDA is taking a look at you know, what are some of the, the broader uh, objectives within the communities in the forest that they should be supporting? And there's always been this, you know, this global war on, on timber, and they've kind of stepped back from that, and they've brought their agencies together and say, let's talk to the communities, let's talk to the tribes, let's talk to, you know, the people that, that live there and see what the causes are that matter to them. Uh, we brought forward, you know, these two uh, proposals you mentioned with Mariculture and, and the pellet mill, but there's, uh, you know, there's, there was dozens and dozens of uh, a project proposals that were submitted to them, and I was really pleased to see their engagement of the regional tribe and um, Southeast Conference is a regional development organization to, you know, just have a sit-down consultation and engagement of how do we make this happen. Uh, the government has their their square holes of programs, and if something doesn't fit there, sorry, you're out of luck. Um, but you know, the deputy undersecretary Ken Battalion said we want to listen, and 
we want to use you know your organization as a, as a conduit to do some of this this work in the region and want to partner with with you and so it was very refreshing to to see that approach and I think that uh, we'll be seeing some announcements over the next few weeks of, of further investments that um, I think will will really matter in the region and not just the here and now but if this is a new method of dialogue and investment that that will serve our region and by extension uh, state and the nation well as they can replicate this approach and it's a, it's a lot of resources they're bringing just to alaska it is um but on the you know there's there's a lot of need and you know with southeast being about 96 percent under federal control there's a lot of responsibility on their side to mm. you know to help uh, they're the landlord they um, they've got the the opportunity and the ability to to help with some of the the house chores <laughs> all right well one more thing i wanted to touch on robert before we go i understand you've got an annual meeting later this year uh what what do folks need to know it, that is happening in ketchikan september 13th through 15th and um it is always chock full of of good information um a couple things happen there number one is we roll out our annual by the number. So that's the report card. So we do a five-year economic development strategy that um, you know, is kind of our roadmap for the region. And then every year we do a report card on how we're doing. The business climate survey is a component of that. And you know, it's kind of a, you know, a good snapshot of where we're at in year one, two, or three, four, or five as we go forward towards the next rewrite. So we'll, 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 we'll get that. But we will get more than just that to kick things off. We'll, we'll really engage the business leaders themselves from each of the economic sectors. We'll also be hearing from policymakers. Um, and it's an election year. So there's a lot more that want to be policymakers than currently hold a job. So we, we hope to have forums to hear from those that uh, want to be you know, the, the next uh, season leaders. And here, um, you know, our, our theme is uh, charting the course ahead. So we're, we're really you know, looking at what those needs are. We've got the business climate survey. We see the needs. How are we going to chart the course in, around, and beyond those, those issues? So it's going to be two and a half, three days, just chock full. Uh, last time we had over, over 50 speakers. So we are um, we're looking forward to being in Ketchikan in uh, September 13th. Do you think more than 50? Do you figure? Um, well, you know, I don't make any promises, but we've gotten higher than that. But, you know, it's, it's getting the right people there. Uh, we'll, we'll get between 250 and 300 people uh, that will attend. And I think it's just the networking opportunity is second to none in the state. Uh, we'll have agencies that come in. So, you know, all the communities coming together, businesses coming together. We get uh, just, just great exposure to lessons learned resources ahead and uh, partnerships that get uh, forged there together and charting the course charting the course very good well thank you robert for joining us this morning thank you all right well on the next program i will have the southeast alaska conservation council on here on action line but thank you for tuning in this july 6th this is kevin allen for action line signing off i'll leave you to problem corner next